life because uh, this ministry was part of a miraculous event that took place in 1991. Does anyone remember a thing called the Soviet Union? There's kids in the room that are scratching their heads right now like, what's the Soviet Union? Anyway, there was a big empire on the other side of the world called the Soviet Union. It collapsed, and during that very amazing turmoil, uh, this ministry, as well as many others across L.A., uh, sent a mission team uh, over to Moscow, Russia, to start the Moscow Church of Christ. And uh, at that time, I was this wandering, lost uh, American from Oklahoma, just walking the streets of Moscow, and uh, one of the members of the mission team uh, actually approached me, invited me to church in December of 1991, and I came to church, studied the Bible for a week, and on December 11th, I got baptized and became your brother. So uh, I know you just had your special missions contribution, but thank you so very much for all your years of commitment to that amazing mission. Now, you guys also support the Nordic churches, is that correct? So, uh, I also want to, I brought some special friends with me tonight. One is my best friend, that is my lovely wife, Cece, uh, who's my partner for 23 years. She is from the Stockholm Church, and then with her is her brother and sister-in-law, who is also your brother and sister in the Lord, Theo and Helena Berg. Please stand. And they are also a part of the Stockholm Church. So I just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, my family thanks you so much for all that you do, uh, your prayers, and obviously your financial support for the, uh, the mission work in that amazing part of the world. Uh, how many here love getting along? Don't you just love getting along? I love getting along. In fact, I wish I could get along all the time. But unfortunately, getting along all the time really impairs opportunity for growth. And one painful thing I had to learn getting married, and if you haven't learned this uh, as a single, you should learn it now so that you're better prepared for marriage, but conflict is actually good. Can you believe that? If you read the Bible very carefully, you'll notice there's conflict. And the Bible doesn't, you know, bow down. God doesn't, you know, shiver whenever we have conflict. God has a divine purpose when we have conflict or tension with one another. Now, growing up, I had a very different experience of conflict. When I was a kid, I would witness my parents' conflicts. And I saw a lot of conflict, but not a lot of resolution. And so witnessing that, and I'm sure some of us can relate, right? Whether it was parents or family members, people that just never got along, they were always in conflict. It starts teaching you that conflict is hopeless. There is no point to it. It just creates problems and tensions and ulcers and all this other bad stuff. So there's no good in it, which is wrong. That is what the enemy wants to communicate to you. But as Christians, as disciples, I feel like we are a light to the world. Uh, we are a light to the world. Amen. Amen. Just make sure we're confident here. Okay. But being a light of the world, that means, guess what? The world has lots of conflict. But very little hope of what to do with that. So as disciples, we need to be very confident in what God's purpose is. In conflict. And I hope tonight I can give you some confidence in how God has made you and what his plans are with conflict. Whatever we practice, we get good at. Is this true? Unfortunately, this is true for good stuff, and it's really true for bad stuff as well, right? 
uh, I used to work in a, uh, an adolescent treatment program for kids, you know, coming out of drug addictions. And they would always come in with their parents, and the parents are all frazzled and frustrated and hopeless and fury, infuriated with their kids and all this kind of stuff. And we would talk about, you know, hey, parents, you and your kids are, are practicing things all the time. And by the way, when you practice yelling at your kid, you get good at it. And you keep doing it. And then Junior suddenly doesn't want to hang around you very much, and he starts practicing that and gets good at that. And guess what? He's going to get good at it. And suddenly we're practicing things that are absolutely counter to what God wants. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, what are some habits that you've learned or acquired in your lifetime? Just name a few. Whoa. Okay, let's get honest and real right from the get-go. You can practice fits of rage, right? I, the Bible doesn't encourage practicing that. But there's some solutions to that. We're going to get to some of that tonight. What are some other habits? What? Sweeping it under the rug. That's a good one. In fact, we have a great phrase for that. So we can easily access that option, right? Let's just sweep it under the rug. Any others? Which one? Ignoring, just dismissing, right? Now, if you'll notice, a lot of things that we practice, we usually associate with behaviors. But guess what? Some of our worst habits are located right here, in simply the way that we think. If you practice certain thoughts, you will start to believe them, whether they're true or not. If you practice distorted beliefs about God, you will really believe that distorted belief about God, and that will hinder you. I want us to undistort some of our bad thinking habits, especially about conflict. Okay? All right, so let's move on. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your behavior? No, by the renewing of your mind. Renew the mind first. The behaviors will follow. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the patterns of this world, I think, are often habits that we collect from being in this world. And these can be behaviors that we pick up growing up. These can be thought habits that we hear or listen to other people or just things we come up with in our own head. And we practice those things. And suddenly the ways that we think become patterns. They become patterns. But we don't need to be trapped or enslaved by any patterns of this world. God has a plan to renew our minds. And guess what? It says renewing. That means it's an ongoing process. Right? Did anyone get baptized and all their thoughts changed and all their behaviors changed and they just became perfect at baptism? If you're waiting for that, I'm really sorry. I'm really going to disappoint you. But that's just not how it works, right? We get adopted at baptism... Something begins at baptism, and it's this renewing process. And part of that renewing is recognizing the old and calling it what it is so that I can replace old patterns with God-biblical patterns. Amen? All right, let's move on. History of spiritual formation. Now, does anyone want to guess when spiritual formation begins? How many would say baptism? Oh, you guys are good. How many would say birth? You would be correct, okay? You are created by God 
God created you to be a spiritual being. Guess what? You've been a spiritual being all your life. However, for most of us, our spiritual formation took a wrong turn at some point in our development. And we started forming poorly, spiritually, we'll say. And guess what? When we have bad spiritual formation, bad things start to happen. Bad thinking starts to develop. We get baptized, we make Jesus Lord, which means now our spiritual formation has an entire different template, an entirely different agenda, and it is an incredibly hopeful one, unlike before we got baptized. So, as you guys probably know, I love talking about the brain, so uh, if you look on your handout, you're going to learn a little quick thing about the brain. This is my two-minute brain lecture. Uh, Your brain is an amazing thing that God made for you, not against you. Okay, and one of the better parts of your brain is right behind your forehead called the prefrontal cortex. And these amazing functions all take place in your prefrontal cortex. Judgment, decision making, impulse control, planning, and reflection. How many of those qualities would you say are good for a relationship? Have you ever had a really good friend with no impulse control? It's not fun. They blurt out things that are really weird and strange and, you know, they hurt your feelings sometimes. Or have you ever had a really good relationship with somebody who just has poor judgment? It's frustrating. It's not good for the relationship. So these qualities, we want to make sure that we have in full measure. And I'm going to teach you some things tonight that, that hinder us having these qualities And I'm going to show you some things that we can do to help us have more of these particular functions of our prefrontal cortex. Next is our limbic system, which is located right there in that center area, where that little circle is kind of in the middle. And these are doozies. We have our emotions. Men, can I hear an amen? All right, that's right. Emotions are there, male and female brains. Our reward center is there. So whenever we feel good or we, we accomplish something, God has created this reward center that releases some dopamine that says, hey, that's a good thing that you're doing. Keep doing it. The only reason this thing gets in trouble is when we start putting toxins or substances in our, in our body to overstimulate that reward center. That's what drugs and alcohol are all about. It's giving yourself a big reward for doing what? Nothing. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Okay, next is your social brain, your sense of connection, relationships. Your long-term memory is stored in your limbic system. All of your senses, what you feel, what you touch, all of that is kind of connected with all the different processes there in the limbic system. And finally, your sense of safety. And we're going to talk a little bit later tonight about how important safety is. Okay, so these are two different parts of the brain located in two different parts of the brain. Their limbic system's in the middle, PFC's in the front, but the brain is always doing what we call energy distribution. Your brain runs on energy, okay? And the brain is a very efficient organism. So basically, if one of your systems, if your limbic system is taking a lot of energy because it's really active, That means your prefrontal cortex is going to be less active, okay? And a good example of that would be, remember uh, in the limbic system, uh, we had the emotions, right? If you've ever been really, really angry, okay, who's ever been really angry? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar, and that's a different problem, but whatever. So 
Whenever you're really angry, your limbic system is hot. Okay? And then go through that list of the prefrontal cortex. When you're really angry, how's your sense of judgment? How's your decision making? How's your impulse control? It's just all dulled when our limbic system is too hot. Now, at the base of your limbic system, you have this wonderful little thing called the amygdala. Can we all say that? Amygdala, okay? Amygdala is right there at the base of your limbic system, and it's a little structure that has one function and one function only. It monitors your environment 24 hours a day to basically find out, are you safe? That's the only concern of the amygdala, is are you safe? And safety, I mean that in a very broad sense. You can have relationship safety, physical safety, financial safety, anything in the range of safety, your amygdala is paying attention to that. Now, if your amygdala detects anything that seems unsafe, that whole energy distribution thing goes out the window, and the first part of your brain to shut down is the best part, your prefrontal cortex. And here's what happens. When your amygdala is unsafe, you will have these five common responses. And I've put some pictures here of some friends from the animal world because guess what? All of these critters that you're seeing pictures of, they all have amygdalas. And each of them represent a different amygdala reaction to a lack of safety. Now, when you're in conflict with someone, do you feel safe or unsafe? You should feel a little unsafe because that's not good. Conflict means there's something wrong here. There's something intruding on this relationship, right? So unfortunately, when we have conflict, our amygdala says not safe. And in conflict, we will have these five automatic reactions. We'll fight. That kind of makes sense, right? You'll argue or you'll yell or something like that. Flight, you'll just run away. Avoid that person. Freeze is when you kind of Frozen, you just don't know what to do, you feel stuck, right? Ever, ever felt that way? Probably, right? Now, for the deer there, you see a picture of the deer. We have that famous expression, frozen like a deer in the headlights. God has designed the amygdala in a remarkable way. For the deer, when that amygdala is activated, it actually adjusts the cardiovascular system of the deer so that the deer actually looks like it's not moving. It's literally frozen. And it turns out that most of the predators that hunt deer have very poor vision. So when the amygdala of a deer says, oops, there's a predator, that amygdala ignites, shuts down that cardiovascular system so it breathes, but you can't see it, and suddenly the predator walks right by, and it's safe. Does that make sense? Now, that works really good for deer when it comes to predators. It doesn't work well for deer when it comes to automobiles. Because the automobile just keeps driving and, you know, now we got deer meat or whatever we have. Okay, so we freeze. And then finally, or next is submit. Now, wolf packs have to have order. And when there is not order, they need a pack leader. And when they don't have a pack leader, they have this very interesting ceremony where they, the two strongest wolves will fight. And as soon as one determines that the other is stronger, he will tip his neck, expose his neck, And from that point on, the other wolf is the pack leader. 
And now suddenly our pack has order, our pack has leadership, and our pack will survive longer because now we're safe. Now, this doesn't work really well in human terms. And when we read submit here, this isn't biblical submit. This is basically, uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, even though I'm not in agreement with you, but I just want safety. It's like, yes, dear, I'll do the dishes. Right? You submit, but your heart is like in the other room. Like, you, you don't care at all about what's really going on. You're really ticked at your wife, or you're really ticked at your husband, but you submit anyway, but it's not genuine. There's still tension. There's still a conflict there. And then finally, we hide. We can hide all kinds of places. We can hide at work. We can even hide at church, right? You ever been really busy in church life, but your personal life is in shambles? That's not God's plan. That is not God's plan. He wants us to be fully engaged and so that we can resolve conflicts without fear. So, here we go. Amygdala, when it's safe, we have all these wonderful things available to us. Number one, we are more playful. Do you guys have fun at church? Do you have fun in any of your relationships? Fun is a good thing. When you're playful, you feel safe, you feel connected, and then you also start nurturing better. They also do studies that when your amygdala is safe, you are not only more nurturing of other people, you are better nurturing of yourself. You take better care of your own physical self, your own diet, your own exercise. All those decisions come along when your amygdala is safe. Finally, you're also you're more creative. When your amygdala is safe, you can think outside the box. You can find solutions to things as opposed to being narrowly focused on problems. Uh, I'm not going to get into details, but we have sex when our amygdala is safe. All right? You have to have safety in order to have that kind of connection with another human being in marriage. And then finally, we work. We are more productive. And there's been a ton of research with a lot of companies out there these days that specifically design work environments where amygdalas are safer, and sure enough, the workforce is more productive. God wants to be our source of safety for our amygdalas. When we trust in God, guess what? Our amygdala has a huge advantage when we trust Him. But when we're trusting in our own power and our own strengths and our own, you know, feeble things, that always has a timeline, and it ends. And then we start getting in trouble. Okay, so let's talk real quick. Talk to the person next to you. Share your most common unsafe amygdala mode. Fight, flight, freeze, submit, or hide. Ready? Get set, go. You two, stop fighting. Just kidding. Okay, have you figured it out? Okay. Now, why is that good to know? That is really good information. Okay? And especially it's good information to share with somebody that knows you. Because what's helped me so much is when I recognize when my own amygdala is activated, now I'm able to catch it. I can realize, okay, hold on, there's something going on here, and there are some things that I can do to get out of this amygdala 
unsafe mode. Okay? Now, two questions I want you to think about, and we won't get into these right now, but what is something you do that you understand makes others feel unsafe? In other words, think about how you trigger other people in your life. Do you talk too much? Do you talk too little? Do you talk too loud? Do you share too many opinions? I mean, what is it that you tend to notice when you trigger other people to go into a fight, flight, freeze, submit, hide mode? Just just be curious about that. Then next, describe something others do that makes you feel safe. And do do yourself a big favor and tell them that. You know, bro, listen, the way that you listen to me, it really helps me. Or the way that you uh, guide me in some decisions sometimes, the way you give counsel, it really helps me. Or, bro, when we just go out for a cup of coffee and just connect, or we go out and pray, I just want you to know that that really works for me. Thank you. Seriously, guys, we're a community, right? We've got to make sure that we're helping one another stay in that safe amygdala zone. Because guess what? God has given us a lot to do, and it's a lot more than just getting along. God has called us to change this world, to impact this community. And we're not going to do that if our amygdalas are activated. We're going to be hiding at home. We're going to be scared to share our faith. Right? Unsafe amygdala, I'm so sorry, you're not going to share your faith very much. You're not going to be talking to your coworkers very much. You need to make sure you're doing things that allow God and allow your fellowship to help you stay in that amygdala safe zone. Okay. Now, we have already covered the brain, but I want to look at um, how the brain actually works. Now, it turns out all information that goes through your brain, goes from the bottom up. So do you see the arrows there? So all that information, everything that you see, hear, read, you know, imagine, all that stuff, everything that goes through your brain goes from the bottom and then through your limbic system. You see it going through the limbic system. And then the final destination, if it makes it all the way to the prefrontal cortex, we're good. But remember what we learned about energy distribution, right? If information is going through my brain and that information ignites or connects with a memory or an emotion, right? Then my limbic system is going to get activated as that information passes through. And if that limbic system reaction is too strong, all that energy is going to be consumed in the limbic system. And now guess what? Look at the picture that PFC is going to be in the dark. It's going to be in the dark. The limbic system is a very powerful part of the brain. And what I want to help you tonight do is I want to help you learn how to be smarter than your brain. Because your brain has some very automatic responses that actually don't always benefit you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit has better plans than your brain instincts. Have you learned that yet? Have you figured out that the Holy Spirit has better ideas than your instincts? If you haven't figured that out, talk to somebody tonight, okay? It's really, we've got to nail that one, okay? All right, here we go. So research has shown 
people smarter than me that have studied thousands and thousands of people in conflict have basically concluded when your brain is in a conflict mode with another human being, 90% of the energy or the tension of that conflict has to do with your history. And 10% of that energy has to do with what's happening right here, right now. Now, neurologically, I think this makes perfect sense because we just established, right, all our information goes through the limbic system first, right? So if anything that my wife says to me that reminds me of some memory in my past, it's going to ignite some of those memories. And some of those memories have emotions connected to them, right? Let me tell you the, the, the most common thing that Cece and I figured out when you're starting to learn this stuff is um, when I grew up, my mother had very strong, smart opinions. And I was an only child, so I couldn't argue with a sibling. I tried several times to argue with my mother. And often I was unsuccessful. Do you know what it feels like to lose an argument? You don't feel safe. You feel kind of shut down, right? And so often I get so frustrated and so just depressed trying to engage these issues with my mom when my mom would just be just too sharp, too smart, and she would put me in my place. And it felt really uncomfortable. So God's perfect plan was for me to later go to Stockholm and meet this amazing, beautiful sister named Cecilia, who just happens to be a chemical engineer. Someone who's got really strong opinions and is really smart. Now, if I'd read my playbook correctly, I would say, David, this is probably not a good idea, man. This is, this is going to remind you of a lot of things you've already been through. I didn't know that because I was head over heels in love with this woman, which was God's plan, by the way. But later on in our marriage, man, Cece could say things in a certain tone or she'd have a certain look. And I'm telling you, I'd have all these subconscious flashbacks like, whoa, I have felt this horrible before. But who was I looking at? I wasn't looking at my mom. I was looking at my wife. My disrespectful... Di- I had all these strong reactions to my wife. But 90% of that tension, 90% of that, that turmoil in me was about my past. And it turns out, God had a purpose in these conflicts. And if I could learn how to keep my amygdala safe and go through those conflicts with my wife, which we did... We've actually learned, and I've learned, how to overcome some of these obstacles in my past that I felt stuck in. Is this making sense? This is a really important, fundamental thing to keep in mind. Whenever you have conflict with somebody, think about the 90% on your side that may be be making that that tension feel so strong. And maybe only 10% has to do with what's going on here and now. Because this is how we typically roll. The rule of their problem. Right? It's their problem. Now, first of all, I believe in this principle from a neurological point of view, but I actually think Jesus would agree with me. And let me explain why. The rule of conflict. Have you read this one before? 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your stuff. Or just at least be aware of your stuff. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, for so many years, I was not able to see Cece clearly. Because things going on in our conflicts were reminding me so much of things in my past, I was reacting to my past. It was my plank. And I think Jesus would say it's probably 99.9% to 0.1% in terms of that ratio. We've got to make sure that we're, taking, we're aware of and we're taking care of what's going on with me first before we start pointing the finger at the person we may be in conflict with. Okay, now the reason why I'm pointing all this out is because here's the thing. If you want a growing environment for your relationships, you better lean on curiosity more than suspicion. Have you ever had someone treat you with suspicion? Did you give them a high five? You say, hey man, thanks for doubting me. I appreciate it. No, you, you, didn't, you don't like that. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. And by the way, is God ever suspicious of you? No. He knows everything about you. He can't be suspicious because he knows everything, right? But God is more, I think, has more that heart of curiosity, like, hey, let's, let's grow together. Let's discover some things together. I think that's more the heart of God. Now, by the way, neurologically, these are two entirely different systems. When you are suspicious of someone, your brain naturally releases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And cortisol, basically, it starts warping, it starts distorting the brain functioning. Functioning. Your brain does not work better with more stress in it. Curiosity is the opposite. When you are curious about someone or curious about something, the neurotransmitter dopamine is released from your brain because you're eager to find something out. You're eager to learn something, to discover something. So the reason why I'm giving you this 90-10 rule is that when you're in conflict with someone, remember that 90-10 rule. Just pause for a second before you keep focusing on what they said and what they did. Start looking at yourself first. Maybe do some prayer and some, and some curiosity with yourself first to understand what's going on with you. And then maybe you'll be in a better place to start engaging the conflict. And next time we meet, I'm going to give you a very structured skill to address conflicts. Okay? All right. Romans 7. Paul says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I find this verse very interesting because Paul calls himself a wretched man. But is he speaking from a place of shame? No, he's, he's, he sounds almost fired up. Hey, thank you God for Jesus who helps me and is all that I need in this life. Paul 
knows that he's a rich man. He knows his spiritual formation before he became a Christian. He knows he's got history. He knows he's got bad habits. But he doesn't go to shame. He goes to gratitude. Like, look, I know that I've got a lot of stuff from my past, but I know that God is in the business of renewing my mind and transforming me. Therefore, this is not a, an a proclamation of shame at all. It's gratitude. Albert Einstein said, problems cannot be solved with the same mindset that created them. So, we have mindsets, I think, that often contribute to our conflicts. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to give us different options than what our own brain produces. We need to allow ourselves to trust in the Holy Spirit. Here's something that's really strange to believe, especially as a disciple. Safety is more important than love. Cece could love me all day long. She could say it a thousand times. But if I do not feel safe in this moment for any reason, it doesn't matter if she loves me. Now, in my opinion, I think God sent Jesus to this earth to send this loud message of safety. I know everything you've done. I know what you deserve. But I'm sending my son to teach you and to show you something. And when we understand through Christ that, wow, God's not mad at me, even though he knows all that I've done, there's some safety, and now I can receive, I can understand God's love. It's amazing. But this is relevant, not just in our relationship with God, it's relevant in our relationship with one another. One another. Safety is so key. So, we're going to do some safety techniques tonight that I want you to practice before I come back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Acts 17, verse 25 says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life, breath, and everything else. I do not know why Paul, or I'm sorry, why Luke emphasized the word breath, right? Why he emphasized, sorry, this is Paul, why he emphasized breath, but I'm telling you, when you understand the, the, the miraculous quality of just breathing, I'm telling you, your gratitude for God will go so way up. And you will take care of yourself in such a remarkable way. When you understand the gift of breath. So here's some of the fruits of basically doing what I call intentional breathing. Okay, and I'm going to teach you how to do it in just a second. But the benefits of the skill that I'm going to teach you tonight is all of these. When you sow breath and prayer, you reap all these things. Present moment focus, awareness, attention, experiencing, like savoring things, really being aware of things. Non-judgmental, acknowledgement, non-attachment. You're not attached to your devices. You're not attached to your opinion and only your opinion. And self-control. Again, question. How many of those qualities are beneficial for a relationship. Every single one of them. We need all of these in our relationships. But it starts by taking care of ourselves. Okay, so you have this very phenomenal thing in your body called the vagus nerve. Now I know I talked about this at Reality 18. It was not a coincidence that I spoke about that at Reality 18 because I was talking about the legalization of pot. Have you heard that pot's legal? 
Okay, so just make sure we're all up to date. Okay, it's out there. We need to have an opinion about this. But the point is, why did I talk about this? Because I think this is a main reason why things like pot and other things are used so commonly is because people are dealing with conflict all the time. And conflict doesn't feel good. And guess what? Pot feels good. Drinking a lot of alcohol will actually feel good. But it solves nothing. It does nothing for the quality of your life. It does nothing for the conflicts going on in your life. So I think we need to make sure that we are confident in understanding how to help people and engage people with conflict because this is 99% of the time why they're going to these substances. Remember, why people do things is more important than what they're doing. We need to know why. And that why is a great conversation starter. If you've got somebody at your job that's smoking pot regularly, hey, ask them every once in a while, hey, can you tell me a little bit, why do you think you really do that? How long have you been doing that? What was going on when you first started doing that? Was life great and therefore you added that? I'm telling you, there is a story every time when people are resorting to substance abuse. Okay, so back to the vagus nerve. You have this amazing nerve that goes along the spine of your back. If it was on the outside of your spine, it would be really great because you could take your hand and scratch it, and you get all these amazing benefits. But unfortunately, it's on the inside of your spine. So the only way to access it is take your hand, place it on your stomach, and I want you to take a large, deep breath from your stomach. Make your stomach as big as you can. You ready? Get set, go. Okay, someone's in shock. I did not know my stomach could get that big. That's incredible. Okay, so... Anyway, you take a big breath like that, right? You are expanding the cavity here, your diaphragm. And when you expand that cavity, you're actually tapping that vagus nerve on the inside of your spine. And here are the blessings that are given to you by doing so. First blessing, your heart rate goes down. Good thing or bad thing? It's a very good thing. When your heart can relax a little bit, that's a good thing. And your blood pressure goes down. Secondly, when you're taking that big breath, you're putting a lot more oxygen in your system. More oxygen in the system, that vagus nerve tapped, it actually pushes out lactate from your blood cells. Lactate is kind of like an acidic chemical in your blood that makes you kind of feel fatigued and tired. You get lactate out, your blood is suddenly cleaner. It's purer. Next, alpha wave. Everyone's brain right now unless you're asleep, uh, is in beta wave mode right now. When you tap your vagus nerve, you actually slow your brain down a notch to alpha wave mode. When your brain is slower, you tend to be more creative. You tend to be more solution-oriented. In other words, you're in a more safe zone when your brain is in alpha wave mode. And then finally, your Vagus nerve releases serotonin from the lining of your intestines. Apparently, 85% of your serotonin neurotransmitters, which is basically a feel-good hormone in your body, 85% of those are located in your stomach. So you're deep breathing, tap that vagus nerve, shakes the serotonin up a little bit, and it goes up your brain, and you start feeling this calm, relaxed feeling. 
Now, I'm telling you all this because I'm telling you this is counterintuitive. Your brain will never naturally make a decision to breathe from here. You always breathe here. Right? Have you ever have you had to make a decision today to breathe from your lungs? Did you have to go, oh, just a second? No. You didn't have to think about that. It's automatic. This is always a decision. It is always intentional. So here's the thing. If you are currently in a conflict, or better yet, this week, be on the lookout for a conflict. Whether it's at the job, whether it's the person sitting next to you tonight, whatever it is, be on the lookout for conflict. But make a decision now that you can't wait to have a conflict because you're going to practice this deep breathing You're going to slow yourself down and you're going to put yourself in a safe zone. Okay? Now, next time we meet, I'm going to give you a few more, a lot more practicals in what to do. But I can't give you the practicals if you're not learning first how to get safe. How to get safe. Okay? All right. Real quickly before we close out tonight, I want to teach you the four count breath. Uh, this one's just a way to get started. Put your hand on your stomach. You inhale, count of four. Hold, count of four. One, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Do that three or four or five times. I'm telling you, you will feel a shift in just your demeanor. I'll often do this before I sit down and open up my Bible in the morning. I just, I just put myself in a better place so that my mind is more open and receptive to receiving from God. Okay? You can also do this. I do breath prayers sometimes. You can change the words any way that you want, but just you know, come up with like a little logo or a mantra or something like that. Uh, you give me breath, God. Thank you for fill in the blank. I am blessed. Thank him for something else. But have some fun with this. Experiment with this. Finally, Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything. Do we need to be anxious about conflicts? No. We can have a confidence and we can have a strategy And we can have a spirit-led plan in dealing with conflicts with one another. And oftentimes, going through those conflicts actually not only helps the relationship that you're in the conflict with, but it also starts to heal a lot of those conflicts from your 90%. I've been able to understand so much of God's healing by understanding my own reactions to the conflicts I've been in with people. And I'm telling you, I think it's how God wants to restore us, how he wants to renew us. So we do not need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We all have our own understanding of the conflicts we're in. I dare say that we, God gives us a better alternative. 
He allows us to transcend our own understanding of situations so that in conflicts we can have peace, right? So that we can have peace and we can have a very different mindset as we walk through conflicts. All right, moving forward, four questions for you guys. Know thy amygdala. Know how your amygdala rolls. Now, your amygdala may roll in different situations differently, but find out where you tend to fight, where you tend to flight, where you tend to freeze. Know thy amygdala so that you can recognize when it's taking over next time. Okay, get that familiarity. Number two, get your amygdala safe. How are we going to do that? That's right. Tap that vagus nerve, baby. All right? Number three, be curious about conflict. Don't be scared of conflict. Don't be intimidated by conflict. First John says perfect love drives out fear. We're not supposed to be dictated by fear anymore. Be curious about what's going on in any conflict that you're going through. And number four, be curious about God's initiating. Any conflict that we're going through, God may be up to something to help you. He may be trying to restore or heal parts of you through that conflict. Okay? You guys feel good? I apologize for going a little over. You guys are amazing. Next time, please come back. We're going to get to some really good practicals. Love you guys.